secret art of business? The creative side of our brain and the business side of our brain may seem like two separate entities, but they are actually interconnected and complementary. The creative side of our brain can bring fresh and innovative ideas to the table, while the business side of our brain can turn these ideas into practical and profitable solutions. By tapping into both the creative and business side of our brains, we can find a balance between risk-taking and practicality, leading to more success and fulfillment in both our personal and professional lives. I'm Katherine Lane Klein, entrepreneur and creative person, and in this podcast, we will hear success stories from people that are doing exactly that, and hopefully giving you ideas of how you can too. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Secret Art of Business. And today I am very excited to have Daniel Tolson of the Tolson Institute. And just in brief, you have had really an amazing career, but you are hitting it in all cylinders with the Tolson Institute. So I'm just going to go ahead and start by asking you to tell us all about what the Tolson Institute is. Thanks, Catherine. Well, the one thing that all businesses fear is making a hiring mistake. And that's the problem that we help our clients solve. And there's really three things involved. It's reducing the risk, it's removing the bias from hiring, and it's getting results in seconds. See, when it comes to reducing the risks, 80% of bad hires are due, or 80% of turnover is due to bad hires. And each bad hire costs the business upwards of $50,000. Yes. The other thing that gets in their way is that the bias, 97% of biases, uh, businesses have hiring biases. And the latest research shows that 85% of hires are made in the first 15 minutes and 5% of hiring decisions are made in the first 60 seconds of meeting a candidate. And so what we're doing is we're helping our clients become more emotionally aware of their decisions. So instead of making bad hires and ruining your life and making you go bald (laughs) and turning gray, (laughs) you let them go and ruin somebody else's life. (laughs) I always believe that they have a job somewhere, but like and like I said earlier off off uh, off screen is that uh, it's just not here. <laughs> this is not your job, and I'm going to release you to go and find what that is. But I and you know based on what I have read about you on LinkedIn, I can totally see how you got here, and I, I think that that is super exciting. Um, but one of the questions I love to ask everybody though, is, you know, when you were a kid, what did you do for fun? What was the thing that really kind of charged you up and got you excited? Well, I was waiting for that question and, um, (laughs) I went to therapy. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I did for fun. And uh, I went to therapy and I stayed there for a long time. And the reason why I went to therapy is because I had learning disabilities. And one of the ones that I had was linear sequential learning disability. So at school, they discovered that I had learning disabilities and they moved me to a special class. And I remember the room, it was called the Space Lab. And so I thought I was smart. I thought I was intelligent. I thought I was going to be an astronaut. But it was actually just for the kids who were all off the planet. (laughs) (laughs) So my childhood was uh, having cranial massages because the platelets in my skull hadn't formed properly. Those Um, platelets were pushing down on the left and right hemisphere of the brain, and that was causing a visual impairment, so I couldn't see properly, and I had to go to special optometrists. Uh, I lost um, not my hearing, but I was tone deaf, so I couldn't uh, distinguish different pitches and different sounds, so I had musical therapy to fix that. Um, I also had collapsed bronchial tubes in my lung, constant bleeding noses. I had all of the 
uh, grass allergies, the pollen allergies, the dust mite allergies that you could imagine. <laughs> and so, yeah, my, my childhood was fun. I just went to therapy <laughs> and I met some <laughs> lovely people and I realized I was pretty normal after meeting most of them. <laughs> You know, that is really interesting. And, and I laugh because I have never had anybody say that. And it is um, a couple of thoughts come to mind. One, it's so great that you were able to get that because clearly you needed it. You had a lot of issues going on. And, you know, that, you know, getting a lot of that course corrected probably did bring you a lot of joy and things like that. But even beyond that, there had to be some time where you were, you know, doing something while you're sitting there, either getting the massages. Or, and you, knew, you knew, said you know, maybe you thought you were going to uh, be an astronaut or something like that. Um, is there any way that that kind of played out for you, like just in um, pretend play or something like that? Well, I remember the, the, the therapy went for many, many years. And eventually I become very good at swimming. So I become good at sports and I was probably the best all rounder uh, at school eventually in sports. And then I developed a passion for, for wakeboarding. Uh, now my father, I, I was predisposed to that because my father was a really good barefoot water skier. And I developed this passion for wakeboarding. And I remember my brother and I would go out onto the Hawkesbury River and we would constantly film what we were doing on the water. And then I'd come home and I'd debrief and I'd sit down and I'd ask myself the two most important questions, what did I do right and what could I do differently next time? And I didn't realize it at that stage, but I was actually self-coaching. And then in, two, in 1996, I was interviewed by a magazine called Water Skis News. And they asked my brother, they said, what's Daniel's special talent? And, they, and he said, he's a great coach. Now, I really didn't understand what a coach was at that stage, but I was tending to do it naturally. So I got into sports. I became a three-time state champion athlete. Uh, I became an Australian champion athlete. I competed at the extreme games in wakeboarding and then traveled around the world and was on television, sports movies, magazines, pull-out posters, being a brand ambassador all around the world for the sport of wakeboarding. So I developed into that. And uh, thanks to that sport, I also went back into therapy, but it was physical therapy because I had uh, two major knee reconstructions. So yes. it was a very uh, interesting journey, challenging journey, but the big takeaway from it was learning to be resilient, which a lot of people are struggling with today. So oh, I yeah. was schooled in resiliency in my first early years and get to benefit from those skills today that I learned 20 and 30 years ago. That is really, really remarkable. And, and I'm just going to pause for a moment just to talk about that sports career because that is quite amazing, especially after the story that you just told us that you were having all these issues. And yeah, you, did, you weren't necessarily resilient, but you really kind of championed some specialization you had and, I mean, kind of created a small career out of that from the very beginning at a very young age, even if you just want to take away the coaching part of that. But that really starts to draw the line between where you are today, where you were and where you are today, because it, it really is about understanding, you know, just um, human activity in general and then the coaching part of it. And then what I liked is that you had a small little bit being, um, let me make sure I get this right, a senior flight steward, which I think, you know, bravo to that, because that is a hard job, <laughs> I think. <laughs> um, and then you are uh, where you are today. So. Let's talk a little bit about how did the Tolson Institute all kind of come together? Because you are have set the stage perfectly of why this should be your calling. So how did you get here? When we were 
16 and 17, we were constantly filming our sports. And eventually that uh, evolved into a business. So my brother and I, we launched a business. So we were 21, 22, and we started a clothing business. And we had to figure out how do we get in the media how do we get in the magazines? How do we get press without paying for it? <laughs> because we're bootstrapping this. And so we said, we've got skills in writing. We're the best writers. Uh, we've got our own clothing brand. My uncle's got a helicopter and we've got a camera. So we would ring up our uncle and would beg him, would you please bring the helicopter down to the river and we're going to film out the side of your helicopter. So we started to create right. movies. And our movies went viral before the internet was there. We used to make videos on VHS. And I remember one of the videos that we launched, I think it was in 2005 or 2006, uh, it was called Immunity. And we did a launch in Sydney and we had 600 guests at our movie launch. You know, you think of these Hollywood uh, red carpet events. We were the boys from the Western suburbs. We were athletes. And we were able to get 600 people to our movie launch. So we put on entertainment. So we had developed a lot of emotional intelligence skills. We were great at building networks. We were great at collaborating with others. And we also knew our strengths and weaknesses. So I wasn't a good singer, but I could get up on stage and talk. My brother could get up on stage and talk. So we would reach out to bands and would say, look, we've got this great platform let us put you in front of four, five, six hundred people and get your name out there. And in exchange, you put your music on our video and we'll all work oh, together. Wow. So that's where the stage was set. We started entrepreneurial ventures, but then I made a couple of bad decisions within uh, relationships and business and I lost my business. <laughs> and that's when I went to Emirates. And at, at, in Emirates, I took my life in a different direction. And one of the things that I was really passionate about in Emirates was I got the opportunity to enter into critical incident stress management and peer support. So I was working with people's mental and emotional health behind the scenes. And that was really important because I'd learned so many of those skills when I had spent my childhood in therapy and it was a way to pay back. But I realized that I was good at it and I wanted to do more of it. So it started out as a side hustle and then it turned into a full-scale business after that. I, I have to say that like just anything that works with the general public directly, I always feel is like one of the best educations that anybody can have for one. And two, um, because just because you can do at that point, you can do anything, you can do marketing, you can do sales, you can do, you know, like the hiring and choosing, you know, right employee, because you are just it is raw people skills that you are learning. And that goes from doing something like this to waiting a table, being a bartender, you know, working the front door of some place. But just that face to face is so incredibly valuable. And I, I do, I love that as part of your journey too, because I do think that feeds right into exactly what you do. Um, what are you doing now? That's kind of fun. Are you still, you know, doing um, wakeboarding? Are you, are you doing writing? I mean, you mentioned that. What are you doing right now that just still kind of gets your right, the right side of your brain going? I remember when I was in therapy, I used to do this one activity. <laughs> it's such a big part of your life. Would, so. Yeah, I, I go back there all the time, that inner child. Uh, the, the therapist would bring out this big piece of butcher paper and they would say, here's two crayons. And I'd have to draw this figure eight, once with my left hand and once with my right hand. And they called it hemisyncing. Now, I didn't realize that they were trying to get the left and the right brain to communicate. 
And I found that fascinating. And that was a big part of my therapy and it was a big part that really got me back to school and learning again. So doing sports was really good because you're using your left and right hemisphere of the brain. But over the past few years, because of COVID, I really didn't have much opportunity to go to the gym. So I hired a personal trainer and that was great. That was really good. Uh, But what I'm doing now is I'm on the battle ropes. And what I realized was the battle ropes are almost like hemi-syncing because you've got to use your left and your right brain consistently. And what I find is just 10 minutes on the battle ropes, I remain, I'm, I'm, I'm still nice and lean, I'm nice and strong, but my mind feels really sharp. So if I head out and do a session on the battle ropes for 10 minutes, I'm awake for 10 hours. But I find that the two brains start to have coherence. And even the three brains, the, the head's talking to the heart, the heart's talking to the gut, and everybody's happy. <laughs> Everything's in alignment. But it's because of that crossover between the left and the right brain. That's actually quite brilliant. And I, like I said, I was amazed with the whole helicopter thing. But the fact that you can do 10 minutes on the battle ropes, that is also super impressive too. Because I get 10 <laughs> seconds and I'm like, oh my God, have I done yet? Um, but I, I, I have a, such a love-hate relationship because I think you're absolutely right. I never made that connection that it is working the left and right brain. but And you really do feel like you've had a great workout after that. That is it's so funny that you brought that up. <laughs> they spy on me in the park because, because I, I'm in Taiwan. I live in Taiwan. I'm six foot, 183 centimetres. I'm 100 kilos. And I'm really big compared to everybody else. So down in the park, they take photos of me when I'm working out and they send them to my wife. <laughs> they say, <laughs> your husband's in the park again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you get to do it outside too, which is even better because then you get to kind of be around nature and all that sort of stuff versus just being a a smelly gym. Well, in, in, in summertime at the moment, when I do my workout, if I uh, if I do it before school, I'm up at um, you know 6.15 in the park, but it's already 32 degrees. Oh, so wow. it's like doing Bikram yoga slash uh, battle ropes all in one, and I come home and I look like I've been working out for an hour, <laughs> but I've done you know 10 to 15 minutes on the battle ropes. Wow. Wow. That is so great. That is so great. Now, I did want to reserve time in this podcast to talk about the Tulsa Institute, just in how you can kind of help people. And l- let's think of it as just kind of like a mini commercial for what you do, because you wanted to sell that, like the high points of why people should work with you. I'm going to give you that opportunity because I think it is something that every entrepreneur needs to hear. Every business owner needs to hear. Um, so maybe you can kind of give us a little teaser of a problem and how you might be able to fix it. But I really want you to talk about how you can help. And I, again, I really feel like you've gotten here just by everything that you've talked about as far as your people skills and this figuring out and, uh, and basically just figuring out humanity for the most part, because that's kind of what it boils down to. So what is it that you can do for your clients? My parents owned a pawnbroking business. Now, not the sex shop, the other one, <laughs> the porn stars. And one of the greatest fears in the family business was hiring people. And my parents would say, Daniel, if you hire people, they're going to take advantage of you. If you hire them, you're going to train them and they're going to leave you and work for the competitor. So there was a lot of negative thought patterns and especially a lot of fear around hiring. Now, as a business coach today, every business knows that if you want to grow and scale a business, you've got to hire people. And we've all been told that people are your greatest assets. And I'm sorry, it's a bullshit story. (laughs) The wrong people are not an asset. They're a liability on the profit and loss statement. But the right people are. So my job in a business is to help you select high performers. 
Now, some of the companies that I've worked with, they've taken their businesses from $45 million a year to over $100 million a year just because they got the right people in the business. Their product remained the same. Their prices remained the same. Their competitors were still aggressive, but they just started to get the right people. Now, one of the biggest things that's invisible in a business is the cost of a bad hire. It takes 100 days to find a person. You've got to sift through 250 resumes. 235 will be wrong. 15 will be right. You'll interview 15 people and you'll find one person you'll make a job offer and half of those people will say no. (laughs) And it takes you 100 days to do that. And I've been able to reduce the risk by 97% for businesses. And I've got clients finding the right person after the second or third interview because they're very clear on what they want in their business and what superior performance looks like. And that's my job on a team is just to get the right people on the bus. Once they're on the bus, we put them in the right seat and all the people, we've got to clip their tickets and let them go and ruin the competitor's life. (laughs) Find them a job somewhere else. (laughs) Very nicely, of course. Of course, of course, because, you know, there are people, we understand. Um, and then sometimes, too, you know, it's, it might be sometimes us that makes a mistake, too. You know, you know, we, we Absolutely. come in, you know, really hopeful with uh, thinking about the potential of people, and they just really didn't have what it takes to, or what you need. Um, but, yeah, it's all based well, eight, on. 88%, 88% of new recruits complain about the onboarding into a business. And it's in that onboarding, it's in the first 24 hours that they make the decision to stay with that company or not. And if you ask anybody in any room, have you been mismanaged? 85% of people will put up their hand and say, I've been mismanaged. And so we also have to have a look at how the business does operations. At any given time, 50% of the employees are ready to fire the leader. The other 50% are ready to fire the business. So as part of having a good hiring and firing strategy is you've got to make sure the leaders and the managers know how to manage and lead these people. So what comes in after that is learning about emotional intelligence, understanding who you are as a leader, understanding your biases, but also understanding your team. And we've moved past the age of the golden rule. The golden rule said, treat others the way you want to be treated. (laughs) I don't want to be treated like that. (laughs) <laughs> I don't want to be a number. Treat me like an individual. Right. So today there's a platinum rule and it says treat people the way that they want to be treated. But you can only treat others the way they want to be treated once you become more emotionally intelligent and you've got to have great empathy. So yes, it's not always about the employees. There's big problems with the businesses and we fix that at the same time. That is fascinating. And if I'm understanding you right, you're working with um, the company's team, the whole team, or just the hiring manager of how this works? Because you talk to, you're talking about like onboarding. Do you help people with their onboarding process, and you know how to how to read a resume properly and things like that? Is that <laughs> is that part of what you do? There's a few different steps we do. The first part is really to identify the high performance, and that's getting really clear on how do you want this person to behave? How should this person approach problems? How should they deal with people? How should they build relationships? How should they deal with policy? So that's one part. Another part is making sure that they're interviewing correctly. And that's where the biases come in. Uh, 85% of businesses will make a hiring decision within 15 minutes. It's it's all emotional. Oh, I'm just so excited about this person. I've got an affinity bias. They've got the same color shirt as me. They love the same football yes. team. We went to the same school. Ah, we go to the same church. And so my <laughs> job is there is to be the voice of reason and to slow them down. 
and to make a really good hiring mistake. And I then introduce different types of sciences. So today you can learn more about people in a 15-minute interview than you could in spending a year with somebody. And if you're using the right sciences, you can quickly understand people's preferences and what drives them. So if you're looking for a salesperson, it's not their behaviours that actually makes them successful. And most people say, let's get the right behaviours. We need somebody who's aggressive. We need somebody who can talk with their mouth full of marbles underwater. And they think that leads to a good salesperson. It's one component. The biggest predictor of success in hiring a salesperson is their passions, their attitudes, and their motivators. And we know it across the world, 71% of the world's top sales performers are all driven by one thing, money. But everybody thinks it's a dirty word. (laughs) You want salespeople who are driven by a long list of wants and needs. And it's only through technology that you can measure this. So that's the value I bring. I say, I've got the technology. I can measure what's inside of people's mind. I can make the invisible visible and I can show you who's going to work and make you a lot of money. I can show you who's not going to work and give you sleepless nights. (laughs) So that's how we build it. And then, of course, onboarding is you've got to pair up the managers. You've got to pair them up with the right people. And in most businesses, when they do an onboarding, they look for the person who's got the least amount of workload. The person with the least amount of workload is often the worst person in the company. So you get this great person and put them with the worst person in the company and they make their first day on the job toxic. Yeah. So I help them change that because that's the biggest that's the biggest impact. And if you do onboarding right, statistically, that new recruit is going to be 18 times more committed to the company when you get the onboarding right. And every business owner knows what happens when you have an onboarding. You get remorse from the candidate to go, oh, I think I've made the wrong decision. Yes. This isn't right for me. And then all of that's a sunk cost. And, and that there, if you get them to onboarding and they quit, that's a $50,000 cost to the business. Absolutely. Not, and just the time that's invested too. And that's really even hard to put a price tag on as well. But I, I love that. Maybe that we can make that the new golden rule about how to hire people, make sure it's a good onboarding experience <laughs> you know, more than anything like else. Like that's where the success is going to come from. <laughs> remember, it's all, you, you remember the first kiss. You've got to make sure it's good. <laughs> That I'm not going to forget. I love that. Oh, that is so awesome. Um, I got to ask you, do you, have you ever written a book? Because I think you should write a book. You have a lot. You have a lot. I've written 14 or 15. Well, I, I won't call them books. I'll call them, um, the technical name is a is a monogra- monograph. So I've got 15 books um, from social intelligence, emotional intelligence, having a mental detox, uh, books on sales, books on leadership. I've written 15 over the past few years. So yes, I've got a lot there. Yes. Good. Good. And I'm actually glad I asked that question because now my audience knows that you have books and they can find them and just look up your name and I'm sure they will get the whole list, you know, but oh, that's fantastic because steal them. I, steal them you know, off my website, is, get them for free. Don't, don't give Amazon a dollar for them. <laughs> just steal them <laughs> off my website. <laughs> well, there we go. <laughs> There we go. Um, because there, there is so much more to you. And I, I mean, this would have to be like a, a three hour podcast in order for us to get into a lot of the, the things that you know, but I so appreciate you coming on here and just giving us this little taste of your world because it is, 
Um, it is amazing. It is amazing. And it's, it's so much that can help people. And I love your journey. There, there's a lot to be learned just in that alone, just on perseverance and resilience and, you know, just kind of being unstoppable. And that is, that is fantastic. And, you know, I don't, I don't know that I, I know that I help people a certain level, but I think that the level that you're helping them is even greater than that. And, um, I will say thank you for all of them because it's your it's it's a game changer for people when they have the right people in the right seats. And as a business owner, I know the um, I, I hate to say the feeling of relief, but the feeling of relief when you just get rid of that person that is not the best fit. And I I can't put that in a nicer way. <laughs> it's not what we're thinking at the time, but you know, darn it, they're just not a right fit. Because that's hard. That is hard too. And like I said, it's, you've already invested so much time. You just want to make it work. And it's, you know, you know, the story, you know, everybody here listening knows the story. We've all done it. The kindest thing you can do for somebody, Catherine, is if they're in a job and they have no future in that job is to let them go. And statistically for all the business owners here, listen to this, 70% of employees know they're going to get fired. It's (gasps) just a matter of time until the boss gets the courage, gets the spine, gets the guts to do it. 70% expect to be let go because they're not happy. Wow. They go to work, they moan, they grumble and complain, they take their problems home to their partner and the partner says, why don't you leave? And they, in the back of their mind, they say, well, I just haven't been fired yet. But when the boss gets the courage, then I'll go. So the kindest thing you can do is to let them go and let them move on to greener pastures. And there's people have so many talents. We call them inborn attributes. And if they find the right job, they can really come to life. And if you, you know, what I say to my clients, Catherine, I say, when you de-hire somebody, the experience of de-hiring should be so enjoyable that you should still have a customer for life. They should go, wow, this was the greatest (laughs) de-hiring. I'm going to refer you to all of my friends. And that's what you want. You want customers for life. Yes. And let them go and let them preserve their dignity and help them get a role that they can utilize all their natural talents and abilities. Uh, that I couldn't think of a better way to end this conversation than with, with that statement. Um, Daniel, you are a wealth of information. And again, I appreciate you being on here. And if people want to find uh, Daniel, um, I will have all his information in the comment section of the podcast. And again, it's the Tolson Institute. Um, so keep doing great things. I am going to definitely start following you because you, this is, you, like I said, you, you know, a lot of things and we can all use more information and intelligence of how to run business. So thank you again so much. Thanks, Catherine. Thank you for listening to the podcast. The secret art of business is supported by Portfolio Creative. Portfolio Creative is a recruiting and staffing company specializing in finding marketing talent. Go to PortfolioCreative.com to get started in finding your next marketing person or your next job. We are experts. We are creative. We are good humans. Please subscribe or follow this podcast to get the latest episodes. And let me know if there's someone you think of that would be a great guest on the show. Here we can build a community that believes creativity and drive can work together.